So Money episode 136, Bill Dwight. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Thanks for joining me. Hope you're having a great day. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Today, we're speaking with an avid So Money listener, a real fan. He and I connected because of this podcast and uh, just proof that if you like the show enough and you you connect with me, um, we you might be a guest on the show. He is a highly accomplished tech entrepreneur as well, not just a listener, but he is very, very successful. His name is Bill Dwight. He's the founder and CEO of FamZoo.com. It's an online and mobile banking service that's designed to help busy parents teach kids good money habits. It's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Time, NPR, and it also will be featured in Money Magazine this July, as I wrote about it a little bit in my July column for Money Magazine about how to teach your kids good allowance lessons. FAMZU is also featured in Ron Lieber's bestseller, The Opposite of Spoiled. Remember, Ron was on the podcast. That was So Money, episode 47. FAMZU was also voted best of show twice in 2011 and in 2013 at Finnovate. Uh, which is the premier showcase conference for emerging financial technologies. Now, Bill introduced himself to me through social media after becoming a regular So Money listener. He kindly tweets about the show every day, his favorite takeaways from the show. And after writing a kind review on iTunes for So Money, I invited him to have a free 15-minute money session with me. And not that he needs any financial mentoring, but it was the start of a nice rapport. And happy to say Bill is now here with us to share lots of money wisdom from his life and his career journey. You know, he graduated from Princeton in 1984 and has been building software ever since in areas as diverse as artificial intelligence, database systems, business analytics, online education, internet advertising, online freelancing, and of course, most recently, personal finance with FAMZU. He has held executive product development positions at Oracle and two pioneering internet startup companies. The first is NetGravity, which was later acquired by Google, and Elance. And of course, we know Elance. Bill founded his own startup, FAMZU, in 2006, about nine years ago, to help parents be more effective mentors to their kids for critical life skills like personal finance. So many takeaways from our conversation with Bill. And this is a rather lengthy interview, so fasten your seatbelts. Memories of growing up in Silicon Valley before it became the hotbed of modern technology. You know, Bill grew up in Silicon Valley, and he is, as he says, he's over 50, so he's been there through all the different cycles. A simple trick that helps entice your kids to want to save money, to actually want to save money. What is that trick? His biggest financial mistake when working for big companies like Oracle, it's a reminder that uh, for those of us working at publicly traded companies uh, to not make this mistake. So what is that? He shares it with us very candidly. And just before we kick it off, I want to say that I ended my interview with Bill and I'm going to post-production and I realize, wow, why does my audio sound so different this time? And it was because, ladies and gentlemen, I forgot to connect my microphone to my laptop. So how you're hearing me is actually through my internal microphone on my laptop, which is not as smooth sounding as this microphone that I'm using now. So I apologize. You know, you run a one-woman shop, mistakes happen, and I apologize uh, for this. It's it's not unbearable, but it is it is a difference. And so if you're wondering what happened, yep, Farnoosh forgot to plug in her mic. Yep. Okay. I'm only human. Here is the talented Bill Dwight. Bill Dwight, welcome to So Money, founder and CEO of FAMZOO.com. It's a pleasure to have you on So Money. Well, I'm a huge fan of So Money and uh, just got out of my morning bike ride listening to you this morning, in fact, so uh, I'm very pleased to be here. I'm pleased to have you. You are, in, you're probably my best listener, I have to say. You tweet about the show every day. You, uh, you write to me and say, hey, your, your blog link is broken. Um, so you're my troubleshooter. <laughs> well, I'm a geek and, uh, and I love teaching 
helping parents teach kids about money, so you always have this question about, um, you know, what's the one thing you wish you learned when you were a kid? About, about money. <laughs> so that's very relevant to what we do at FAMSU. And now we're going to, uh, I'm going to turn my questions to you soon. And you've had a, a storied background, really just, uh, and I'm, I've, I've gotten to know you a little bit better over the last couple of months as, as a, I feel like I know you at this point a little bit. Um, you're, you know, you went to Princeton, you immediately started working in the Valley, in Silicon Valley, which is actually where you were raised, I just learned, and had the opportunity to work for some big names that we all know today, of course, Oracle, uh, cashed in on that experience as many people at that time during, you know, I guess it was the, when was it? The nineties? Uh, well, I, I started FAMSU nine years ago. So that's when I sort of opted out of the standard, uh, startups and software technology companies that I had been participating in. Right. You were working for startups in before that. So before FAMSU, it was like, what decade was that? It might've been like the, uh, well, careful now. I'm an old guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm over 50, which entrepreneurs aren't supposed to be anymore. I guess that's not cool. But I graduated from Princeton in 84. Mm-hmm. So in and early... I went, went to work immediately in uh, a set of startups, which I guess someone, I, I actually characterize as start downs because none of them were successful in artificial intelligence and relational database technology. And it's only in 1990 that I came to join Oracle early mm-hmm. on in its tenure just to see uh, how successful companies were doing it. Because to date, prior to that, I hadn't experienced a ton of success other than learning an absolute ton. Mm-hmm. And so, as you said, you were there for a period of time and then um, nine years ago started FAMZU, which is an online um, family banking website that I've actually will be, I've written, I featured you in my June or it's July article, July article for Money Magazine. So oh, thank you. it's about allowances and how uh, the anatomy of allowance is kind of changing or evolving. Parents don't want to raise spoiled brats, turns out. And so how to use the allowance as a vehicle to raise money savvy kids. And FAMSU is a great resource for, for, for parents out there wanting to, you know, better educate their kids about money. Take us back to, if you may, um, I'm really curious. Again, I don't, <laughs> I feel like I'm obsessing over this, but I really want to know what it was like to work in Silicon Valley at the time when you were and how that might compare to today. It seems like any startup, any app is getting money thrown at it. Um, are we in a bubble? But more importantly, what was it like working back then for some of these startups and then eventually Oracle? Well, my father was, uh, pioneer in the valley and he that was back in i think he formed his company in 1959 or 60 just right before i was born and if you have had your items scanned at a supermarket then you have probably used um, one of my father's products because it was the first company spectrophysics was the name of the company it was the first company to commercialize lasers and lasers uh you know started out as something that was just in a lab and then came to be used uh, in almost everything imaginable from uh, surgery to leveling fields where crops are grown to scanning items at the supermarket. So um, it was a really cool thing uh, for a kid to have a dad do because, you know, who gets to go in on the weekend at a little startup and, you know, look at lasers and have your dad put his wallet in front of one and burn a hole in it. I think he confused the ones. Uh, some lasers uh, actually burn and some don't. <laughs> I think he misjudged that particular one, but that, that event stands out in my mind. So uh, just I learned a ton about entrepreneurship and really the passion about building something. That was always the focus. And I think the greatest companies in Silicon Valley are the ones that are just really focused on building something of value, something new, something innovative. And it always gets a little frothy in the valley uh, from Mm -hmm. time to time. And I think we're kind of getting into one of those frothy states uh, where people come to town just to make money, perhaps. But um, Silicon Valley is an amazing place because uh, it it just continues to renew itself, uh, whether it was the the hardware-based startups back then that 
sort of came and went as manufacturing got outsourced. And then uh, software came in, and I sort of uh, consider myself a lucky participant in a huge software wave with a company like Oracle Corporation. And, and then the Internet uh, had a wonderful opportunity to participate in that with two startups that I was involved in. One was NetGravity, which was the first ad-serving company. So those little annoying ads that appear in your browser, you can thank my engineering team at NetGravity for <laughs> serving those up um, <laughs> and counting them. But, uh, and then Elance, which is a company mm -hmm. I think you've used. I ran the engineering for Elance for a while, which allows people to post a project on the internet, maybe a website they want developed and have a bunch of people from all over the world bid on it. And I think the idea is really fantastic. So I, I got to participate in sort of the, the second and even the third waves. And now I think we're getting into areas that, that my, my wife is an expert in, which is genetics and bioinformatics. And I think that's really fascinating because the ability to leverage information about genetics to uh, solve the riddle of rare diseases and things like that. So Silicon Valley is an amazing place where just tons of innovation uh, keeps piling out. So that's what I love about living here. And I, I bet the house that you were raised in is now worth a gajillion dollars because <laughs> I remember watching a 60 Minutes piece about Silicon Valley when I was maybe... 18 or 17. And just, um, th this is kind of a side note, but you know, th th just to kind of capture the wave, it's like, you know, 25 years ago, people had, it was a, like any other suburban town in the country and people lived, you know, their lives and they had modest homes and modest home prices. And now people were getting not doors on knocks on their door saying, how much can I buy your house for? Because there's such a, a scarcity of real estate for the amount of talent that's there that people who's fed homes there for, you know, 25, 30, 40 years are being able to basically retire off the money they're making. Yeah, I think homes. that's kind of a slightly sad thing about Silicon Valley. Uh, we, we were raised in a very modest house initially in downtown Los Altos, which is sort of right near um, Mountain View, which at that time was sort of the hub of Silicon Valley. And... Um, and so, yes, it was very modest houses and lots of apricot orchards, <laughs> and that has changed quite dramatically, and it is an extremely expensive place to live, which is unfortunate, but I think that my hope is that through the, the magic of the internet and um, distributed work uh, uh, capabilities that where you live is going to be less and less relevant. Um, mm -hmm. There is an incredible concentration of talent and capital and education here. So it's an extremely stimulating place to live. And I'm very thankful and grateful that I have the opportunity to do so. But, you know, I think that's, that's, that's changing. We're, we're allowed to, to, to leverage distributed talent and, um, and get back to the, the true concept of meritocracy, which is so central in my mind to, you know, the best things about Silicon Valley. Let's talk about FAMZOO, voted best of show twice at Finnovate and this is your brainchild. Why did you decide to create something in this personal finance space? What did you see lacking and what did you want to ultimately deliver with FAMZOO? Well, originally it started because my wife and I have five kids. And when the oldest two were getting into middle school, and, and, and as mentioned, we live in sort of a, uh, a bubble-ish type area, we realized then that they were approaching middle school and really hadn't learned anything about personal finance. And I was very determined to make sure that they didn't confuse my resources or their neighbors' resources with their own resources. They need to respect money and view it as a finite resource that um, they need to manage. And so I was sort of looking around for solutions to that problem, and there really wasn't much. I mean products that were built for adults didn't really make sense for kids or didn't have the right emphasis or didn't line up with our values. And, and there wasn't much in the way of software at that time. Um, so I just started doing what a lot of folks do. Some people keep a paper ledger for, for allowance. So I wanted the kids to have this concept of, hey, you have an, your own account and this is how much is in it and, and you can't spend more than you have. And so mine started out as a spreadsheet. And then, uh, because if you have five kids, like if they're stuffing money in their stock drawer, sock drawer or somewhere like that, that's not particularly safe, right? So I wanted to create sort of the concept of a bank. 
so that they weren't ripping each other off. <laughs> and so I created sort of the bank of dad and I kept the accounts on a spreadsheet. And then being a software nerd, I got a little tired of them coming into my office saying, dad, you know, what's my balance? Um, so I can go out and get pizza or whatever. So I built a little website on the side for them to sign in and check their balance. And then uh, on the other end, my wife and I could add money to their accounts. Um, they were just, the accounts at that time were just IOU accounts, meaning this is how much mom and dad owe you, quote, owe you. Right. Depending on whether you um, were getting allowance or did some odd jobs around the house, that sort of thing. So that's how it all came about. But then over time, I started to realize, wow, you know, we could not only teach them how to spend within their means, but we could teach them about compound interest. So, you know, a lot of people open up a savings account, but savings account interest is not particularly, how should we say, interesting right now. It's near zero. And so to a kid, if they get like a penny of interest at the end of the year, that's a big yawn. In fact, they kind of view that as theft. <laughs> like, where'd my birthday check Right, after go? inflation, it's like, wait a minute. Right. And so I'm, what are you teaching them there? So you're not inspiring them to save. So, so we allow people to define an interest rate for their kids. So basically, FAMZOO is, you know, what would a banking system for kids and teens that was actually designed to develop good money habits, what would that look like? And that's what FAMZOO is. So that way, if when your kid gets that first job, and the person says, do you want to sign up for 401k uh, after being going through mounds of paperwork from HR? They don't say, oh, I'm not sure. They say, well, of course. I've been doing that since I was five or six. I've had mm -hmm. part of my allowance automatically split out into saving and FAMZOO since I was five. So, yeah. And my parents have been matching and... Um, but then isn't it a rude awakening where you're like, my dad was giving me 25% and now as an adult, I'm with bank XYZ and they're giving me you know, 0.001%. Um, I've asked you this before and I liked your answer. So I want you to tell our, our listeners about why, even though the, maybe the interest that you're giving them is out of, you know, it's not real, is like, it's sort of uh, out of this world, frankly, that there is a bigger point to it. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, the thing I'm very interested in is what creates a habit. And so kids obviously operate on a much faster clock. Uh, you know, like a year is a really long time to a kid. <laughs> and, um, and I have to make it sort of interesting for them. So I would like my kids to get, when they're very young, to get a text message that says, oh, you just earned 25 cents in interest this week. Um, and because I want to set that habit that says, ah, yeah, saving, that's good. My money is working for me. Because a lot of kids don't even have that concept that, that money could work for you. And, of course, we don't dictate what the interest rate is at FAMSU. We just give you a tool. Mm -hmm. So if you want to create an interest rate that's equivalent to, say, the performance of an index fund over 30 years, so maybe a 8%, 8 you probably know better than I, whatever the... You know, if you look at, Sounds at about right. stock market, you know, about 8%. So you could create a weekly interest rate that matched up to um, an annual 8% interest rate, for example. But I would recommend that you do it weekly so that they get that constant reinforcement. Ah, that's why I'm savings. Um, I have a funny story because I was giving a demo to a venture capitalist just last week. And uh, I always demo the live system. And right in the middle of the demo, a money request for 100 bucks comes in from my son at the University of San Diego. And I'm like, oh boy, this looks really bad, right? Out of the blue, he's asking for 100 bucks and there was no context. Yikes. And so I, uh, I just approved it because I envisioned him sitting in line, you know, for some textbook or something or, you know, whatever, like he needed the money right away. And then afterwards, I get this text from him that says, Dad, I was asking you to transfer money out of my spending to my savings so I could get more interest. Oh. And, and, then he, and then he said, furthermore, I, I canceled my WoW account. That's World of Warcraft for all you parents out there. Uh, because there had also been a transaction when we were looking at his list of transactions for World of Warcraft. I'm like, oh boy, he's wasting his money. <laughs> so I, I immediately sent, took two screenshots and sent that text conversation to the venture capitalist and said, 
see, my kids are actually learning good lessons, mm. um, you know, because I was like mortified that this had happened uh, in time. But the point is, if you can learn those lessons early, like what if every uh, uh, 12-year-old had an emergency fund? Yeah. That sounds a little bit crazy, but... What's an emergency when you're 12, though? Oh, your kid's young, right? Yeah, he's only, <laughs> says Farnoosh, oh, so naively. Well, uh, He's 11 uh, months, almost. My kids play lacrosse, so if you asked our neighbors what an emergency is, it's when a lacrosse ball comes crashing through their fence. Uh, my kids also played hockey, so, so windows and fences around here have taken a beating. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's one example, uh, and, and, and when you get a little bit older and your teens start driving... You, you learn a lot about emergencies. So my point is, why wait until you're a young adult to have the concept of an emergency fund? You know, how neat right. if you already know that? And so or, or you know about, mm-hmm. um, you know, compound interest, or you know about separating your money into separate buckets like spending, saving, and giving. If you know that from an early age, that's wonderful. Why don't more banks have these kind of family accounts where families can access you know, a portal. Um, and maybe is that how you envision FAMZU kind of exiting the market in a way? Um, I don't know what your plan is for the future, but what would, how would you like to see this, this evolve? And are other banks taking notes? Well, I would certainly love to see this available everywhere through banks independently. The reality is that um, the consumer is so hooked on the concept of a free account that that banks have had to go elsewhere to get their money. And the way that they make their money, sadly, is on people with poor money habits. So they make money on overdraft fees, for example. Right. And everyone, when they sign up for an account, they say, oh, I'll never overdraft. You know, that's not me. That's the other person, right? And so if you're living very close to the edge or whatnot, you're ended up, the sad thing is people with, Difficult money situations or poor money habits end up subsidizing the rest of the market. So that's why we've always had this policy that we price FAMZOO as a straight-up flat monthly fee. And people say, well, you, you, know, you're, you're, you know, you're charging me to hold your money because now we actually do hold money in prepaid card accounts. And we do that because there's no overdraft. Uh, you know, the prepaid card is a great instrument for... Uh, a kid and even young adults in my mind, because you simply can't spend more than what's on the card. And they say, Oh, well, you know, you're, you're charging me. Um, you know, we, we, our best deal is $60 for two years for the entire family. And so that works out to, you know, basically 30 bucks a year. Well, if you overdraft once or one of your kids overdraft once, you know, you've more than paid for a family subscription, right? Right. And unlike other pre, I'm not a big fan of prepaid cards in general, the ones that charge you a sign up fee and then a monthly account maintenance fee. And, the, you know, there's like fee upon fee upon fee. It's like. So let me amend that. What I think I just heard is I'm not a big fan of financial products that charge you big fees, right? Like you, you should analyze as a consumer any financial product you use. And ask yourself, how do they make money? When do they make money? What are my fees? And then put that in context. Right. Well, prepaid cards, you're getting charged that fee no matter what. You're getting charged that monthly maintenance fee. And yes, there are banks that um, charge you that too. But sometimes there are ways around it where it's like like keeping a minimum balance. And there are fee-free banks um, like Ally Bank and and so forth. And uh, um, there are others. But I think... um, you know, and I'm making a sweeping statement here, you know, but I've done a lot of stories on prepaid cards in general. I'm not putting yours in that bucket because yours oh, is a different structure. But yeah, I think. Sure. Yeah, there have been plenty of shady characters in all kinds of financial products. And um, so it's, it's, it's unfortunate, I would say, that the, the concept of a prepaid card, I believe, is a neat concept, which is here's a thing where, you know, like a debit bank debit card, you know, you, you, you. You spend, and, and the money comes immediately out of your account. There's no latency there. There's no, there's no gap in time. Because otherwise, people get themselves in huge trouble with credit cards and things like that, right? So I, I'm just saying that um, you know, our policy 
is to charge a flat rate. Now, remember, ours isn't just a prepaid card. It's all of the software around it that allows a parent to simulate a bank. So really what they're paying for is our customer service, which mm -hmm. is very personal. Uh, often you're talking to me. And um, <laughs> our educational tools hey, it's Bill. that you're just not going to find anywhere else. Right. And, um, you know, money is, uh, excuse me, software is very expensive to build good software. Uh, you're, you're lucky enough to have your brother have built your website, I learned uh, yeah. through your Q&A. And not everyone's got a brother right. like that. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, uh, Chris and I, who are the two principals in the company, build all of the software ourselves. Because we've been building software this, for 30 years. What is your financial philosophy, Bill? I would sort of sum up my financial philosophy as uh, do the math. That's usually what I'm telling myself and my kids. And the reason I say that, I'm not talking about complicated math. In fact, if you are looking at an investment or a financial transaction where you can't do the math, you probably should wait or ask someone's advice. Um, but the reason I say do the math is just sit down and run some simple numbers. You know, like, what, what is this loan really going to cost me? Can mm -hmm. I really afford this? Let me just run the numbers to right. see, you know, what the costs are. Because it takes all the emotion out of it. And, and it prevents you from kind of lying to yourself. Like, it's really easy to fool yourself. And it also slows down the process. So, you know, I love tips like, you know, take one night to think about it. And maybe it won't be that important. That purchase won't be that important uh, in the future. So, so part of what we're trying to do with FamZoo is to help kids learn some of these basic things like, you know, just do the math or, you know, we have savings calculators and things like that inside the tool to, to help kids do that. You were raised, in, I, yeah, you were raised in Silicon Valley and your father, as you said, was a pioneer in technology there. And if we've all been to a grocery store scanning items, which I think I was this morning, we've used, um, your father's technology. What was your exposure to money? I know that you had a lot of wonderful exposure to building and entrepreneurship and starting, you know, exciting things and building. And but what about money? What was your exposure to money growing up? Uh, it was, you know, my, my parents weren't very explicit about like all the focus was on building things. You know, we had a workshop and my brother and I did woodworking and stained glass and, and, um, you know, it was a very hands-on build something approach. And, um, my father, though very successful and my mother and father, both very understated and, you know, it was kind of an anti-bling culture. You know, you, you think of folks in Silicon Valley as wearing, uh, or as a lot of the entrepreneurs being very casual looking, wearing blue jeans, etc. So there wasn't a lot of focus on, on money. And I think I was just very fortunate to be kind of naturally frugal. I think I was a little bit embarrassed. Uh, I know I was a little bit embarrassed by our wealth, even though we weren't very uh, demonstrative of it. I just sort of felt like, wow, it's so cool that dad was a completely self-made man. You know, I, you know, in effect, he robbed me of that opportunity, <laughs> which is kind of funny. It's one of the great ironies, right? Yeah. Because we always talk about, you know, really giving our kids the things that we couldn't have kind of mentality uh, in, in, in America, which is wonderful. But then how do they become self-made people, right? It's kind of this irony. So I, I had a, a, a strong sense of wanting to prove myself and certainly not be demonstrative about my wealth. But, you know, I, my dad was great. Like, we would go to the, the store and shop, and he'd be like, I can't believe they're charging five cents more for this can of corn. You're like, Dad. <laughs> I think we can afford okay. it. I think we can yeah. afford it. But that's a great message, right? It's like, you know, take things seriously. Do the math. Do the comparison. And then my mom, yeah. my mom, the greatest message from my mom was just she was all about the dignity of work and the dignity of labor. No matter what that labor was, if someone was doing it with flair or passion. So Joe Kawaguchi, I mean, I remember him like yesterday. He was our gardener and he was like a member of the family. I mean, this great, proud Japanese guy. And my, my mom was always baking cookies and bringing refreshments to, to anyone who was working in our house. And, you know, I just, I love that about my mom. Just that instilled in me, like, work is all about dignity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What would you say 
Was your greatest failure, you know, I, I, much of your life is comprised of success, if not all of it. What would you say, though, is a, is a failure that you are willing to admit that was financial in its nature? Well, on paper, actually, FAMZU is my greatest failure. Uh, <laughs> but that's kind of a joke because it's one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. But I, I've worked pro bono for nine years, for example. And, but you have investors, right? No, that's the, I'm I'm the venture. You capitalist. are the venture capitalist. That okay. is why FamZoo can be designed the way it is. It's a passion project. Uh, it, it is, but it's important for it to be successful. So I just have a very very long term view on it. But I'm not willing to do things like like if I had outside investors, they'd be, probably be telling me like, Bill, Bill, you should really charge like ten bucks for a replacement card because kids lose their prepaid cards all the time, right? It's like no, <laughs> it's like we're going to charge like the cost of shipping one. That's oh, it. Yeah. So the neat thing is, you know, why I feel that, that FAMZU is, while, while I've put money in and had to work for free for nine years, I actually think that uh, our, our families love it. And, and I think it's just a matter of time. It's very difficult to build a consumer brand. So it's just a matter of time for that word to get out there. But, How much time um, are you giving yourself? Is this, do you have a, a timeline in your head? Uh, I have set aside, going back to having buckets, I've set aside quite a bit of funds for FAMZU. So it's going to be around, hopefully, for my lifetime. So I'm, I'm not giving up. And it, actually, we've been growing like 40% year over year. It's still a small number, but we're, we're doing great. So the, just the neat thing is I don't have to rely on outside investors. Mm-hmm. And I'm very fortunate to be in that position. And I'm very fortunate that I'm kind of naturally frugal because that allowed me to have the funds to do that. But if, if, if I were to look at like a true financial failure, because I don't, I don't consider personally VAMZU a failure at all because it's, it's helping families all over the place. But um, my biggest financial failure was I was very concentrated in the stocks of the companies that I worked for. So when the, the, the bubble came and, and crashed, the late 90s bubble and the crash in 2000 or so, I was extremely concentrated in just the, the, the companies that I'd worked for, primarily Oracle, um, but, but at Gravity as well. And so, you know, I, on paper, lost a tremendous amount of money. And, um, you know, that was a foolish thing to do in the sense that I wasn't really paying attention, didn't understand diversification. And so I could have weathered that much more intelligently had I been more careful about that. Are you uh, talking to any of your kids about maybe having them succeed you in, in keeping FAMZU up and running or perhaps in your lifetime as well, helping you coming on board and, and working with you on it? Well, I'd be delighted to have them, but I really don't like the notion of sort of dictating like, or, or influencing what they would work on. So, um, so I, I don't have any explicit plans in that yeah, regard. If some, if some, subliminal. one of my kids came to me and said, dad, I, you know, I'm really passionate about this and I'd love to do that. Great. But, um, you know, we'll see. They're, yeah. they're so diverse, but I would say my dumbest purchase ever was, um, when I was about 23 or so, Selena and I had just been married for a couple of years and I bought this Jeep Cherokee, <laughs> and it was a used car, and I bought it because I thought it was cool looking, and as soon as we drove it off the lot, the, the salespeople were like waving at us and, and winking and saying, you got a great deal, and right then I knew I'd, oh, no. <laughs> I'd, oh my I'd totally flown it. They're like elbowing each other like this guy. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, it's like. One less lemon on our lot. So that was a good lesson about uh, mm-hmm about doing your research. And sure enough, the first time we, that was when we were living in Southern California, because my wife got her PhD uh, at UCLA and we were driving up to Northern California and, and sure enough, it broke down halfway there. Uh, and they're just, you know, God forbid you're in an accident. It doesn't seem like there will be any protection. Those things are just, you know, it's no wonder like the Ken doll drives a Jeep Cherokee. You know? <laughs> well, this was, a, okay, this was a little more staid. It was a Jeep Cherokee, you know, the, the uh, SUV type thing. But, you know, it's like I, I didn't do any research to realize that these things were uh, at that particular year was notorious for having mm-hmm. all kinds of uh, yeah. issues and stuff. So yeah, and, I just uh, didn't do my research. They recently had some recall issues as well. So 
Well, I would never touch a Jeep Cherokee again in my life, so I, I don't pay attention to them anymore. And as a result of this podcast, Jeep Cherokee will never be sponsoring my podcast. Oh, yeah. That's Oops. Okay. Sorry about that's that. That's all right. It's all right. You know what? It's a risk I'm willing to take. Um, what about uh, a so money moment, Bill? You could, all, you could also call FAMZU. While it's not, you know, you're not profiting from FAMZU, but it's, it's pretty so money. What else? Yeah, definitely. When I get fan letters from parents who say, I just want you to know that this has completely changed uh, how I interact with money with my kids. And, and we're so proud of our kids for, for what they're doing. That, that is like vitamins. That just keeps us going. Oh, it's like but, vitamins. Uh, I like that. It, uh, and, but I would say that if I look back uh, on my very fortunate life, that my most so money decision was ditching my tennis racket for a computer keyboard back in 1982 because I went to Princeton because I thought I was going to be a pro tennis player. And at the time, Princeton was actually number eight in the nation. As soon as I got there, they dropped out of the top 10. I'm not sure what that says, but um, (laughs) I was choosing between Stanford, who was number one in the nation and Princeton because of my tennis. And, um, and then I took a computer science course and it was the first course in my life that I got a C in. And that made me so angry. Uh, and I, I'm a very competitive person. So uh, eventually, um, actually, my colleague, Chris, here at FAMZOO was one of my early roommates. And he helped me understand how to program and so forth. And through perseverance, I uh, was able to turn that around. The, so, the, yeah, that's a, that was a good, not even a failure. That was like average. <laughs> Well, that, no, uh, that turned into a you know really your future. Well, yeah, I mean it was uh, for me it was uh, mortifying, and I just couldn't get it, and I, I was struggling so much. And and over time, I just think it's a really important lesson. It's like, you know, the playing field levels very very quickly if you really put in the effort. And I just had never seen a computer before uh, before Princeton, and and I was really coming from way behind. And and if you really put in the effort, and I was tremendously inspired by this visiting professor, and I'll never forget him. His name was Greg Nelson, and he was actually visiting from industry, and he taught the next level programming course I took. And instead of just running your program to see what the answer was and whether you got the right answer, he never ran the programs. He read them. He read every line of your program, and he coached you on how to write beautiful code. And that guy completely turned it around for me. And so I just think it's so wonderful to have a mentor like that. And, you know, that's kind of our hope that we can help parents be mentors to their kids uh, with FAMZOO. But, uh, boy, if we got to have a bunch of Greg Nelsons running around, I think yeah. that's Yeah, mine was a – I had a number of great teachers. But for writing, it was Nancy Perchuk, if you're listening. Thank you. Um, and, uh, uh, I don't know. I just had so many great, so many great teachers, but there, you know, I think there's someone said to me, you know, your life is really a series of moments and, um, you know, it's a, it's a compilation of people that inspire you. And, uh, it's true. It's like, you got to really, you, you really appreciate it now as an adult, you look back and you're like, wow, that's when things happened for me. And you, yes. you're lucky if you can realize it in the moment. Absolutely. Mentors can make such an enormous difference. But my, uh, you know, so that I would say that was the seed of it because that created my passion in, in software. And I just fell in love with software. I mean, just the ability to create something from nothing is so extraordinary. And so that became a passion. And, and I never went into software for money. I just did it because I loved it. I was like, wow, I get paid <laughs> too. Bonus. And what? so I would say the the next, uh, biggest money moment mm-hmm. was uh, meeting my wife at Princeton, Aww. getting married Aww. June 30th, 1984, the summer after we graduated. And I've come to realize now that I'm a, a seasoned post-50 guy, that that was the most important decision in my life. I mean, if you can find someone that shares your core values, you know, not that's identical. I mean, we have very different personalities in many ways, but we share the same core values. And it Talk about so money. I mean, if you're on the same page about your values and, 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 and how you Goals. manage mm-hmm. money is very intertwined with values. And you found that at a very young age. I have to say, I, I tell people to wait to get married. Not that I'm a marriage expert by any stretch, but I think um, these days 
getting married in your early 20s, it's hard to know who you are at that point. And to, to identify yourself and somebody else, you might be identifying the wrong things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were, we were very lucky uh, yeah. to run into each other, but I still remember. I mean, it's different for everybody because I still remember right before the wedding, this, this, this woman came up to me and she said, are you sure you're doing the right thing? Who is this <laughs> person? Like, what? Really? Oh, gee, that's uh, a- you understand how this works, right? You're a guest at my wedding. You have to be happy. <laughs> I'm feeding you. <laughs> Gee, thanks for the pep talk. Right, um, right. But, you know, everyone's different. And, and especially as a parent of five, I've come to realize, you know, wow. you know, the, the kids are also different and so forth. And, and so it's, it's often a mistake to kind of, um, kind of project your experiences on somebody else, right? I mean, I, I think it's, 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 um, it's very helpful to give advice and so forth. But, uh, you know, people have to be careful to, to think that how they experience something or the experiences in their life, um, you can't project those on somebody else. No. I try to keep an open mind. But, yeah, it was, it was actually pretty unusual to get married right out of school then, too. What's your number one money habit, Bill? Something that you don't practice necessarily every day, but it is conscious, and it certainly helps you with your money. Uh, the biggest thing for me is partitioning funds into separate buckets. You said like, how, you know, how long are you going to keep at FAMZOO? Well, the neat thing is I've sort of got uh, a bucket of my finances um, lined up for that. So I don't have any uh, anxiety over that. And uh, we, we have a bucket for our kids' education. So I, and, and again, I've been very fortunate, but I think a lot of people just sort of manage everything as one big thing one big hairball, you know, and each of those different buckets, whether it's an emergency fund or um, your Roth IRA, hopefully, or your 401k, you know, they each have different purposes. And so to me, you don't need to have a million buckets, but I love this idea of having separate buckets. You know, maybe if you're going to take a vacation, you create a sub account, um, you know, I, I love the, the banking products that allow you to easily set up a sub-account and you, you know, fund that in advance. So, so that, that notion of separating things into buckets, and of course we're trying to teach kids to do that very early with spend, save, give buckets, and ideally they're kind of filled automatically by taking a bit out of your, your paycheck or, or whatnot. And so that combined with kind of reviewing those buckets, I do it every quarter, and I've started doing that with my older kids now where we sit down on Skype, which is nice, and just kind of go over the buckets, you know, and that, that repetition is very helpful to get people mindful about where they're mm-hmm. putting their money. It's like I always say, it's not about how much you have, it's how you manage it. And you can be somebody who's paycheck to paycheck or like you, done very exceedingly well in their career and still, you know, you have to pay attention to your money. It's just, just because you have a lot of it doesn't mean that it's going to just take care of itself and that you can spend however you like, which is, yeah, I don't think very aware. Yeah. The awareness is critical and, and not kidding yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's helpful. And then my, my absolute favorite habit, which I have to, to promote here has nothing to do with Famzu. It's, you know, when your kid gets that first W2 paying summer job or part-time job, you know, convince them to set up a Roth IRA if, if you can. And, um, you know, hopefully you'll also teach them about maybe using an index fund or something like that. That's a very long-term investing strategy. Um, you know, maybe if you can possibly offer to match a little bit into that Roth IRA. You know, I'm, I'm not an expert in this area, but I've done this for each of my kids. And I think it's such a powerful message because think of all the messages there. One is work and you will be rewarded. So you're, you're rewarding work. Uh, the other is that you are thinking long-term for your retirement. I know it's really hard to think about retirement when you're a teenager, but believe me, you're, you know, people are only get, becoming more and more responsible for their retirement. And so as a parent, I think that's one of the greatest things you can do is to... Now, if you can't convince your kid to, um, to hold some money back while they're working, maybe if they have had some withholding from their paycheck... You can convince them when they get their tax refund to seed it with that. But just, just start early. Because if you start early, the compounding is unbelievable. Yep. Bill, are you ready for some so money fill in the blanks? I am. Okay. You actually, this first one um, is what, a small story for our listeners. So, I, so this question is, if, so if, 
you won the lottery tomorrow, what's the first thing you would do? But you've already kind of won the lottery, as you've told me, <laughs> in, in your own way, in your own life, through uh, your, the, the fortune of working in Silicon Valley. But let's say you still won an, an you know, insurmountable amount of money. I can't even count the dollars. Well, hey, I don't have a hundred million bucks. If that's what you're saying, no, I know. You but can go with your standard hundred million. Okay, I can go with hundred million. Okay, good. <laughs> so um, that was my indirect way of finding out. Just don't confuse how me with my neighbors yeah. from uh, Google and Apple. <laughs> if I had, if I win the lottery tomorrow, at say a hundred million dollars, the first thing I would do is. All right, so I, I would uh, got to go with my my three high level buckets. So on the spend side, I would become a NetJets member, and the reason is I would love to be able to. Uh, have my wife and I jump in a plane at a moment's notice to go visit our son at Texas A&M or our son at USD or our daughter who lives in San Diego or our son up at Portland. And uh, so just to be able to um, get together with the, the kids on a moment's notice, that would be awesome. So spending, that would be it. I'm generally very frugal, but uh, if I had a good cost. cost, that's what I'd, I'd go for. On the uh, kind of saving slash investing side, I would definitely get more into angel investing. I do a very little bit of angel investing now, but I would um, create an angel investing fund. And I would focus a lot of those efforts with my wife on bioinformatics of rare diseases. Like um, if you go to a, a, a site called gracewillsey.org, it's um, this uh, fellow whose beautiful daughter has a very rare disease. And my wife is currently... Um, doing some work with them to to try to help identify um, the genetics behind that disease. So fat, you know, that'd be a place where I'd invest. And then um, on the giving side, I would love to start some form of a financial big brother program that was a nonprofit, um, ideally using FAMSU's products. But the trick there is to figure out a way not to have that system gamed. Um, you know, you don't want, you know, parents somehow taking the money from the kids or whatever. So I have to think through how that would work. But I would love to have basically a network of financial mentors for at-risk uh, uh, kids. That's great. Yeah, I agree. And I would like to be a part of that. I'd like to be a mentor. Well, you dropped that $100 million on me. And we'll yeah, and we'll work something out. <laughs> And so brings us now. You, you mentioned your fr your frugal, but if there is one thing that you spend your money on that makes your life easier or better, it is Wendy, our housekeeper. Oh, I was going to say Wendy's burgers. Uh, <laughs> she uh, she treats uh, her job like a craft. She reminds me of our 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 gardener from when I was growing up, Joe Kawaguchi. So, like for example, um, she's very proactive. Like she. I found her in the kitchen polishing the silver from our wedding. I was like, Wendy, I don't think that's been polished for 30 years. And she was so proud of it. And she, it was beautiful. And, and my wife was just like, she, she walked in and was like, oh, wow, that is awesome. So um, it just reminds me of when I first, we first moved into this neighborhood. You appreciate it all the more when you used to do all that stuff, right? So when we first moved into this neighborhood, I had this old push mower and I was out mowing the lawn. And, and the neighbor came by and said, are you the owner or the gardener? And I said, mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Both. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, it, yeah. as you get busier with kids and, and uh, entrepreneurial en endeavors like, like you're doing, I know you're a big fan of uh, if you can afford to have a housekeeper, that's a great investment. Um, One thing that you splurge on that you spend a lot of money on, maybe too much, but it is your thing. It is what? Uh, this would be my guilty pleasure kind of thing? Yeah, you kind of your guilty pleasure. Well, that would be my uh, $4 plus triple grande latte at Starbucks every morning. Triple pretty... grande, can you can you go through the, the descriptions here? It's What is it exactly? Hey, it's just three shots in a latte. Um, no okay. fancy stuff, straight up. But uh, I, need, I need all three of those shots. And uh, I have that right after my bike ride, after I've been listening to your podcast and, and uh, Stacking Benjamins. I'm a big fan of Stacking oh, I love Stacking Benjamins. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, so, you know, that's when I read my uh, Wall Street Journal. My father gave me a, a gift subscription to the Wall Street Journal the year I graduated from college. And that's kind of how I collect my thoughts for the day. Wow. So I, 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 my guilt mitigation strategy is that all of those are purchased with credit card rewards points. So. Nice. And you need, you need that triple shot to keep up with all that reading and listening and biking and 
You got yeah, one day. The real guilty confession is I go to Pete's in the afternoon, so mm. I need. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. Uh, one thing I wish I had known about money growing up is uh, diversification. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, you know, I think that index funds, I'm not sure when they were invented. They may have been invented in the 70s, maybe with uh, Jack Bogle or whatever. But uh, just the concept of diversifying and how important that is. And then the added kicker bonus would be the concept of dollar cost averaging versus trying to time the market. So putting, you know, investing in a regular pace in a fairly regular amount so that no matter what happens, you don't really have to time the market. You're going to catch it in some of its good times and some of its bad times. And when you, um, so it kind of takes all the emotion out of it. All right, real quick. When I donate money, I like to give to blank because? East Palo Alto Tennis and Tutoring. It combines all of my uh, passions about tennis and exercise. And East Palo Alto is um, a a very disadvantaged neighborhood right next to Palo Alto and uh, serves underserved kids and so forth. So that that's, exemplifies mm-hmm. um, the kind of thing we like to give to. And last but not least, I'm Bill Dwight, founder of FamZoo. I'm so money because? Uh, I'm Bill Dwight, and I'm so money because I'm helping insanely busy parents teach their kids to be so money. So they can yes. earn diligently, spend wisely. We'll be subscribers. Give, most importantly, give thoughtfully as well. Well, I'm sure it'll still be around when Evan is of age. He's only... He's not even a year yet, but I would say when he's getting an allowance, he'll have to see how it's growing and how it's doing. And so I look forward to testing it out when that day comes. Bill, thank you so much for not only being a guest on the show, but being such a big fan and uh, avid listener. I really appreciate it. Uh, My pleasure. Thank you for having me. That is a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Bill Dwight, his website, again, is famzoo.com. And he's on Twitter with the same handle, famzoo. If you're interested in learning more about how to best educate kids and money, check out these So Money episodes. Okay, we've got this episode, obviously, episode 38 with Ron Lieber and episode 65 with Susan Beecham. We've got all this info at somoneypodcast.com. And there, of course, the transcript and the comments from this and all episodes. And I want to hear from you. Submit your question about money, work, life, or guests at somoneypodcast.com. And there's a really good chance that I will answer it this weekend. And if you want to receive a free 15-minute money session with me like Bill did, just hop on iTunes, leave a review, and hopefully you'll be selected to uh, get that session. I pick one new reviewer every Saturday on the show. So write a review, tune in on Saturdays, see if you won. Thanks so much in advance if you're going to leave a kind review. I appreciate that. Thanks again to my guest, Bill Dwight. And I hope the rest of your day, everyone, is so money.